Numbers 21. And I want to follow up from the, the morning sermon. Uh, we talked about this morning how we tackle temptation. And we talked a little bit this morning about the negative aspect of temptation, the consequences that arise from us giving in to temptation. We saw the nation of Israel and their history of how they gave in to temptation and how they suffered many consequences because of that. And this morning we looked at four specific reasons why they faced judgment and why they received consequences for their uh, decisions, um, their sinful decisions. And so we looked at the fact that they fell into idolatry there in the wilderness. We looked at the fact that they were involved in sexual immorality. And then we looked at the other two sin issues that they faced uh, consequences and judgment for. And those were uh, complaining and murmuring. And so with that, with those two specifically, I wanted us to dig in a little bit more tonight. And I just want to point out to you that this wasn't a one-time occurrence in the nation of Israel. In the whole history of Israel... Uh, they didn't just complain one time. I think sometimes if you just cherry-pick and just read certain portions of the Old Testament, uh, I know that skeptics and atheists sometimes read the Old Testament and they come away with this idea that God was just a capricious, uh, temperamental God who just had a short fuse and as soon as someone messed up, he zapped them. That's not the case at all. God was very long-suffering. He was very patient with not only his chosen people, he was actually very patient with even Canaanite nations and um, uh, on many occasions showed how he was even reaching out to them with the gospel. I mean, you think of Rahab the harlot who lived right there in the city of Jericho and how God gave her an opportunity to escape the judgment that was coming upon her city. And so I want to point out to you tonight just by kind of going through the, the book of Exodus and Numbers, just hitting some of the highlights and then ending in Numbers 21. So we'll end in Numbers 21 this evening, but let me go ahead and read to you a verse from the New Testament. Uh, Paul tells us in Philippians 2.14. Pastor Don, have you gotten to Philippians 2.14 yet in your class? Yes, we're in chapter 3. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm encouraged. Well, the reason I'm teasing him a little bit is because back several months ago, he was still in like chapter 1, verse 4, verse 5. So, man, you must have gotten moving there, moving and a shaking. But anyway, uh, so, okay, you've already studied this one, but this is a very familiar verse in Philippians, Philippians 2.14. The Bible says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And so the Bible throughout the Word of God reiterates this. Um, you can tell a lot about a person's heart by the words that they speak. You can tell a lot about their mindset and their attitude by the words that come out of their mouth. And so throughout the Word of God, God um, admonishes us. He warns us, hey, be careful with your words. Because your words do give the condition of your heart. Your words do give the uh, idea of what you're looking to and what you're trusting in. And so I want you to see this tonight. Let's go ahead and read our passage that we're going to actually end up in. But then I want you to understand when this occurs in the nation of Israel's history and the timeline of all this stuff. From when they left Egypt, then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. How many of you have ever gotten lost on a trip? Thankfully, it wasn't 40 years, okay? And even though the nation of Israel had that spiritual GPS system, that cloud that they could follow by day and the pillar of fire by night, um, God intentionally got them on a GPS that went in a circle for 38 and a half or almost 40 years. 
And so um, I want to read this passage. Numbers 21, we read some of these verses this morning, but let's look at verses 5 through 7. And then I want to go back in Exodus and Numbers and show you that this complaining and this murmuring wasn't a one-time occurrence. And then I want to give to you at the end of our little trek here through the Old Testament, I want to give to you three ways that we can stop complaining. How many of us find ourselves complaining sometimes and it's like, you know, we know we shouldn't be doing that, but it's like, how do we stop? And so as I prayed through these passages, as I've studied this this week, I think the Lord gave to me just three simple ways that we can stop complaining and begin to replace complaining with praising God, because that's ultimately what we need to do, is replace that complaining spirit, those complaining words, with a heart that glorifies and edifies the Lord and encourages others. So Numbers 21, verses 5 through 7, the Bible says, And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? So the nation of Israel assumed that the only reason that God and Moses had brought the, these two million people out of, I mean, they were in slavery, folks. It's funny how quickly people forget what God did for them. I mean, God delivered these people from 400 years of slavery. By the way, don't ever let an atheist or a skeptic tell you that the Bible was for slavery. Now, the Bible talks about people in the Old Testament who would indenture themselves to a person because they were indebted to them. And so there was an actual uh, volunteer slavery. And by the way, we do that every time we use the credit card, don't we? Volunteer slavery. I'm preaching it myself on that one too. So, so but God wasn't for that. And, and he had delivered these people from that bondage. And these people so quickly, um, well, maybe not so quickly as we'll see here tonight, but they say, you've just brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness. For there is no bread. Wait a second. Bread was falling from heaven every morning. In, don't you remember? Krispy Kreme donuts. So there was no bread. Neither is there any water. They had water. We're going to read several stories tonight of the fact that they had plenty of water. And our soul loatheth, loatheth or hates this light bread. So wait a second. So they were complaining that they had no bread, but then they're like, but we hate this bread. Isn't that funny how a complaining spirit gets you blinded to everything you do have? And how that entitlement mentality that we talked about this morning. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. Wow. And much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And we know the story that Moses was told by God to make this bronze serpent, a symbol, a type, a, a symbol that the people, if they would just look at it, they would live. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight as we take this story and place it in its context throughout the entire uh, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness by the nation of Israel. Uh, this wasn't a one-time occurrence of complaining, of complaining and murmuring by the people. And Father, I pray tonight that we would see why is it that we many times drift into a complaining attitude. And then how is it that we, through the gospel and through understanding what you're teaching us here, how we can stop complaining and have a heart and words that are truly edifying and glorifying to you. Father, bless this study tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. All right, so in the church today, as I mentioned to you this morning, we often divide sins into two categories. 
the really bad sins like idolatry, sacrificing your kids to an idol, sexual immorality, all those, you know, really bad things, and then the not-so-bad sins. And we like to categorize, but the reality is, and we know this, we know this in our head, but the reality is Jesus died for every single sin. Even those good deeds done in a prideful spirit placed Christ upon the cross. And so we know that Christ died for all sin, that um, complaining is just as uh, a complaining spirit sent Christ to the cross just as much as someone who is a homosexual sent Jesus to the cross. We know that there's different degrees of punishment. We know that there's different you know, consequences for sin. Okay, we understand that. But often it's true that when we categorize sin into really bad and not so bad, that we like to draw the line between the really bad and not so bad rightly where we're tempted and where we're not tempted, if that makes sense. For instance, it's easy for us to look at somebody else and say, oh, they're really bad, I'm not so bad. And the, the fallacy with that kind of philosophy is you can always find somebody who's a little bit worse than you, and you'll always find somebody who's a little bit better than you. If you allow yourself to um, compare yourself amongst yourselves, and of course 2 Corinthians 10, 12 tells us that's not wise. And the danger is, is when we like to draw the line where, okay, well, I'm not really tempted in these sins, so I'm going to really rail against these, but don't preach on my pet sins, pastor. Don't step on my toes, right? Um... We don't like that, do we? And the danger is, is if we draw these lines and we think, oh, well, it's the really bad versus the not so bad, we become like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. Do you remember the story? He goes to the temple. He's praying with himself because <laughs> uh, the prayer didn't get far. He's praying with himself and he says, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, or even as this publican. You can see the fallacy in his philosophy there. He was he, he thought he wasn't that bad. He just needed a little cleaning up. But when you understand the gospel, you understand, as I mentioned this morning, we're all on the naughty list. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the first step in really reaching out and receiving Christ as our Savior is an admittance that we aren't that great. In fact, we're not just that, not that great. We are sinners. We're bankrupt. We are... Well, Romans 3 tells us there's none that sought after God. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. There is none righteous. And so if we're not careful, we get into this because familiarity breeds contempt and it breeds comparison and a complaining spirit. And so, while, so we like to look at others' sin issues and forget about our own sin issues. You know, we like to look at, oh, they're clearly doing something bad. But my question is, how many sins are we committing that are sins of omission? Right? I mean, do we share the gospel like God calls us to? I mean, how bad do, you have, do we have to hate people not to share the gospel with them? Oh, well, that's not that big of a deal. Is, is it not? So isn't, this, isn't it interesting how, man, we can find anything to soothe our, our own thoughts, our own conscience, so to speak. And so the danger is we come away feeling good because we've evaluated ourselves compared to others and we're not so bad. And so when we come to an issue like complaining or murmuring in the scripture and then we see what happened to the nation of Israel because of it, God takes this very serious, doesn't he? He takes this very serious. And so 
God hates all sin because all sin ruins our lives. It separates us from his love. And so even those sins that we deem to be little things, those are the things that God wants us through his spirit to root out of our lives as we walk and grow in grace. And so when we think about complaining, Mark Twain said this. He said, don't complain and talk about your problems. 80% of the people won't care about the problems, and the other 20% will think you deserve them. I love the wisdom of Mark Twain sometimes. Um, I'll, I'll read that again. He said, don't complain and talk about your problem. You know, sometimes this would be good for us to do on social media. <laughs> Man, I've been guilty of this before, you know, airing my problems. And, and you know, 80% of the people probably don't care that I put it on there. And then the 20% of the people who, who read it probably think, yeah, he's getting what's coming to him, you know. And so that's what Twain is saying here. Uh, and so Twain's saying, hey, don't, don't do that. Now, of course, Twain was only arguing from the fact, don't complain because it's not effective. But, of course, God says, don't, don't complain because it's wrong, because it tells us something about our heart. And so complaining reveals that we are not thankful for the multitude of blessings that we have received. The way God used complaining is vividly illustrated for us by these poisonous snakes that we read about here in Numbers 21. Uh, God allowed these uh, snakes in among the Israelites when they complained about God's provision for them. I mean, think about it. God had graciously freed them from, from slavery. He had taken them across the Red Sea. He gave them a GPS to follow. Uh, he, he fed them with manna from heaven. He gave them water, and yet they still complained. Complaining, church family, is not a little acceptable sin. It's a big deal. Because it tells us to some degree that we still don't yet really get the gospel for what it is. And more about that here in a little bit. But take your Bibles and hold your place there in Numbers 21. Let's turn all the way back, uh, just a couple of books back, to Exodus chapter number 14. Exodus chapter number 14. And um, take, take a look there at these verses I'm going to point out to you. So this complaining and this murmuring spirit was not just a one-time thing where, oh, I can't believe God allowed these you know, snakes to come in and to destroy these complainers. Oh, it's just a little thing. No, it was a big deal, and you're going to see how it was throughout their history. Look at verse uh, 11 and 12 of chapter 14. It says, And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore have you dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? So basically, they had just left the uh, nation of Egypt. God had just released them from bondage. And now they're about to be destroyed by Pharaoh's army. This was before the Red Sea incident where God parted the Red Sea for them so that they could cross over on dry land. And so they're like, oh, there just weren't enough grave, grave plots in Egypt, Moses. So you just brought us out here, and God just brought us out here so he could bury us all out in this big old field. That's basically what they were saying. Isn't it true that when we complain, we assume the worst about a situation as, as soon as we see the problem? Sometimes we can tell that we have this complaining mentality when as soon as a problem hits, we assume the worst. And why do we assume the worst? Because Satan is right there to tell you God's not good. God's not good. You know that your last name is Murphy, and you know that this is going to turn out in the worst possible way. Look at verse 12. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? 
seriously, they thought slavery was, was, was that great? How quickly we all forget. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Crazy. So here we see them right at the beginning. This was way back at the beginning of this 40-year process of them wandering in the wilderness. And they were murmuring and complaining. Look over a chapter later, Exodus 15, verses 22 and 20, 24. Look at it. Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 24. It says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. So now God's delivered them. They've gone through the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So you would think, wow, they just walked through the Red Sea. They probably thought, wow, this God can do anything. He's not, and think about it. They had not only seen the Red Sea part, but they had also seen 10 miraculous signs in the nation of Egypt that released Pharaoh's grip from the nation of Israel to finally let them go, those 10 plagues. So all those things had already happened. Now they had seen the Red Sea part. Don't you think that if they had seen all that, that they would trust that God could do anything for them, even if they were thirsty. But yet it says the people murmured, saying, what are we going to drink, Moses? Kind of sounds like a child, doesn't it? Isn't it true that many times children do this? They, they complain, oh, you mean we don't have any of this left? No, I mean, I never hear my kids do that, right, Joey? I never hear my kids complain about there being no, uh, you know, um, ice cream sandwiches left in the freezer. Yeah, yeah, never hear that. Maybe dad also sometimes complains about that. Oh, we're having that for supper? Anyway, complaining. Uh, turn over another chapter, Exodus 16, verses 2, 2 through 8. Exodus 16, verses 2 through 8. We won't read all this, but look again. It says in verse 2, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And look, verse 3, again, they're jumping to the worst conclusion. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. Man, they sound like hangry Baptists, don't they? They sound like hungry, and I guess because they were hungry, they got hangry, they got, they got complaining. When we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Oh, me. Look at verse 7. In the morning, then shall you see the glory of the Lord. For he that heareth your murmurings against the Lord, and what are we that you murmur against us? So, so this murmuring was continuing. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Um, look over at Exodus chapter 17. So we have it in 14, we have it in 15, we have it in 16, and now we have it in 17. Look at verses 1 through 4. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin... After their journeys, according to the command of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water. So here again, we got no water again. We got our water, water shortage problem. There was no water for them to drink. Now, keep your place here. I forgot to point out how God provided for the first water shortage situation. Go back to Exodus chapter 15, I believe it is, and look over at verse uh, 27. It says, And they came to Elam, and there were twelve wells of water. And three score and ten, seventy palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. 
So not only did God hear their need the first time, even though their heart wasn't right, even though they had a complaining spirit and attitude, he met the need, overwhelmingly so, 12 wells. Talk about how God comes through in the clutch and answers exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. It wasn't a little trickle. I mean, God took care of their need. But now they're complaining again in Exodus 17, and notice what he does. So there's no water again, verse 2. So the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. We're thirsty. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us? Again, they're assuming the worst. When God had done all of these things for them, my, how quickly they forgot, and my, how quickly we forget. Do you know one of the reasons we need to come to church every week? Is because one of the reasons we need to gather every week is because Satan is the master of getting us to focus only on the worst-case outcomes. And sometimes we just need to make sure that we gather with people who can help to adjust our focus a little bit. Now, the key there is you want to get with somebody who's also not a complainer so that they can help you. And then let them help you, right? Because we see what happens when two million people get the wrong idea and they all get complaining. That's a bad, that's a bad recipe. Um, so we have this second instance. And you know what God does again? He, he overabundantly provides for their need. He tells Moses to take his stick and he goes and he strikes this big rock and it says that water comes gushing from the rock. Again, not a trickle, but an overabundant gushing. What a sign. Do you not see here the sign, the pictures of God delighting and showering his favor and his grace on people who didn't deserve it? They didn't deserve it. Were there consequences at times? Sure there was. Did these people over in Numbers 21 die of fiery serpents? Several uh, thousand of them die? Yes, they did. And I'm going to see, I'm going to show you one of the reasons why I think it finally came to that. But notice how God provided over and over in these instances to the people's murmuring and complaining. Now turn with me over to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter number 11. Numbers 11. Verse 1. And when the people complained... It displeased the Lord. You think? I mean, it wasn't that God had a short fuse. It wasn't that he had a quick temper. He is long-suffering. He is patient. We read those verses this morning in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. They have been doing this for already 38 years. This displeased the Lord. The Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and Moses prayed unto the Lord, and the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? So again, they're about to complain about the food situation. They're going to basically say, God, we're tired of this angel food falling from heaven. Give us some meat. And so the Lord sent quails. Interesting. So you see how God is uh, providing here. But look over at chapter 21 of Numbers again. To our text we read just a little earlier that we quoted this morning. 
So we read the passage earlier. They, they, they loathed this light bread. They complained again. And what I want you to notice is this wasn't a one-time occurrence. This was the, the habit. This was the pattern of the nation of Israel. And this story happens right at the end of the wilderness wanderings for the last 38 years. You would think that through all the things that this nation, that these people had been through, that they would finally come to the point where they would no longer complain, but they would trust God that he was good. And he had their best interests at heart. He had provided for them over and over. I mean, every morning, all they had to do was walk out of their tent and collect the food that was on the ground. Hello, how much easier could it be? I mean, we think microwave meals is easy. Just go out and pick it up and eat. And so what happens here at the end of 38 years of wandering in the wilderness, and of course part of that wandering was the sentence upon the unbelieving generation who had been complaining all along for 38 years. This wasn't, again, this wasn't something they just started doing. It was something that they had grown accustomed to. They thought they were entitled because they were God's special chosen people. You know what we do, and as I read all these stories again, as I read these things, and I've shared some of these things with you before, I've preached on the fiery, uh, the brazen serpent there and the picture of Jesus and how that connects to John chapter 3. But as I read these stories, what I thought of was this. Every time we murmur and complain, basically what we're doing, guys, is we are insulting God's love and care for us. When we complain and murmur, we're saying, really what we're saying is, God, you're not good. God, you're not able, and God, I assume that the worst is about to happen, so therefore I have the right to complain and murmur. You see over and over that the, there was a spirit here. It wasn't just the sin of complaining that was the issue. There was a root of unbelief in the nations of Israel's life. And if there's anything we want to do on a regular basis here at our church is to increase your faith, to show you that no matter what we go through, we don't have to get a bitter, complaining, murmuring spirit about it. And so I want to give you three things real quick. You might want to jot these down if you have some room there in the margin of your Bible, or you can even write these down on a piece of paper. You don't have to write them down, just remember them. They're three thoughts. They should be pretty simple to remember. Number one, how do we stop complaining and begin to actually start praising God, even in difficult circumstances? Well, number one, it all starts with believing that God is good and that his promises are for you and he is at work even when you cannot see it. He's at work even when you cannot see it. So how do you stop complaining? Believe that God is good and that his promises are for you and that he is at work even when you, when you can't see it. Hey, I'll never forget going over last Sunday morning and going to the uh, scene of the wreck. Candace. And Candace wasn't having a good morning at that point. I don't blame you. I mean, car flipped over and, you know, just praise the Lord they were alive. And I remember telling you, and I don't know if you remember these words, but I said, Candace, God's going to take care of it. I know he is. And now to see how God's taking care of it. But in that very moment, we both couldn't see it. We're like, man, she had just gotten this car a, a month ago and, and we couldn't see how God was going to provide at that time. 
But I just knew enough to know that God's always up to something good and he's about working something great. It might not always be what we would think. It might not always be in the time we would think. And I think that's what you see even in the nation of Israel too, is you see that not only did they want what they wanted, they wanted it now. Hey, we don't got water. We don't got food. Feed us. We're going to be, you know, we're going to die. So how do we stop complaining? By believing that God is good. I know that sounds simple, but do you realize that is the most fundamental belief about God? That was the first thing that Satan got Eve to believe, the lie about God that he wasn't good, that he was withholding from them. Therefore, they should sin against God and go get the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. And so, how do you stop complaining? Believe that God is good and that his promises are for you and that he is at work even when you cannot, even when you feel like you're, you're backed up against the Red Sea and the enemy has bared down upon you and they're about to snuff you out. Even in that moment, just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Just believe that God is good and that he is going to take care of you. He has plans for us that we cannot even fully begin to fathom. Sometimes, as I mentioned, the reason we complain is because we assume the worst and we want a miracle in the immediate moment rather than allowing God to work in all the moments following. Um, Here a couple months ago, we went on family vacation down to Pensacola, Florida, and the boys will probably remember this. One day, we just got in the car and we went on a trip. Now, honestly, if those boys can remember back that that long, you know, they've slept and ate since then. But... um, Boys, you remember we got in the car, we were going, uh, we were there in Florida, and we went on a day trip. But we didn't tell them where we were going at first. And so you know what happened after about 15 or 20 minutes of being in the car? Oh, Dad, when are we going to be out of the car? We started complaining. Not too bad, because we were on vacation already, we were already having a good time. But they started to complain a little bit until we got to the Naval Air Station Museum, and then we went in. And they had a blast. What was at work there? Well, they were complaining in the moment. But once we had got to the destination, there was no doubt that their daddy had something good planned for them and had good intentions for them. All they had to do was trust that their dad knew best and wanted what was best for them in that moment. You know what God is asking of us tonight? To believe him, that he knows best and that he knows what is best for us in the moment. There's sometimes I have to tell my boys no. Right, boys? There are some times I have to say no. Now, a lot of times I try to say yes, but there are some times that I have to say no. And every time I have to say no, I try to remind them, you know what, boys? I'm saying no for a reason. I love you. I can't always say yes, but just know that I'm saying no because I want what's best for you. And you might not fully understand it in the moment, but trust the heart of your dad. That's what God wants from us tonight. He wants us to trust his heart for us. Folks, if we've seen his heart in his son and how his son was laid bare for us to be sin for us, then we know his plans are good for us. So that's the first way we stop complaining. Number two, how do we stop complaining and begin praising God? Number two, when tempted to complain about our circumstances, here's the key. Ooh, this is an important one. Talk to God about your problem, not others. When we are tempted to complain and be critical and murmur, 
and talk about our circumstances, talk to God about them. Don't talk to others. <laughs> when we talk to others, the tendency is that our complaining only gets transferred over to them also, and complaining turns to murmuring, as we talked about this morning. Look with me at Numbers 14. Turn back a couple of pages there, Numbers 14, and you see this play out in verse, um, Numbers 14, verse 36. It says, And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him. So the men, there were ten spies who came back with a negative report of the promised land. You remember? And they took their negativity and it spread to the rest of the nation. Look at it. It says, they returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him, against Moses, who was the leader. Because as we know, the leaders are out there in the front and they're the easy targets. And so attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? Ooh, that's a good, that's a good question, right? Attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? So how do we stop complaining? Listen, you are, you're more likely to stop complaining and to nip it in the bud is good old Barney. You know, that's real theological, Barney Fife, nip it in the bud. You're, you're, you're able to do that if you don't spread that cancer, if you don't spread that unbelief. But you know what we like? We like to feel validated about our complaining spirit. So we like to spread it. We like to call up sister or brother so-and-so. We like to put it on Facebook. We like to, you know, get an audience because we want people in our coalition because we are right. And so it's very easy for us to talk to other people and not ever take our, our troubles and our hearts to God. So how do we stop complaining and start praising God? Believe God is good. Believe that he, his promises are for you and he's at work even when we cannot see it. Number two, talk to God about your situation, about your circumstance. It's so easy. We're tempted to talk to others and complain about our situation. And then finally, how do we stop complaining and start praising God? Look to the cross and live. The solution here in Numbers 21 to the nations complaining and murmuring again and to the fact that many of them were dying, 23,000 people died here in this incident. Their only hope was to look to the brazen serpent on the pole. And as we know, that would be a picture, that would be a type pointing us to Jesus and how Jesus would, would hang on that tree. He would be our sacrifice for us. And as I thought about this story, this thought hit me. The cross ends a complaining spirit. For in the cross, we see what we deserved, but we see what Jesus offered us freely because of his grace. Truly receiving the grace of God conquers a complaining and ungrateful heart. Because you see that you didn't deserve any of what you've just gotten. What you did deserve was you deserve to be on that cross. You deserve to have to pay for your sin. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, hath given to us eternal life through Jesus. And so Hebrews tells us that we should offer up the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So what's going to be the fruit of your lips this week? Is it going to be bitter? 
Is it going to be complaining? Listen, if we find ourselves complaining this week, I guarantee you there's some other thoughts that are already swirling in our head. Before we ever get the complaining attitude out of our mouth, there's already some wrong thoughts. And the wrong thoughts are, God, you're not good. You're, you're, I, I can't see you working, so, so, so I'm going to assume the worst here. We, we already know that if we're complaining, we're not looking to the cross. The cross conquers that spirit. The cross helps us to say, wow, look at what I did deserve, and look at what I've received. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that your heart is good for me and that you want what's best for me. Even if, I'm, even if I feel like I'm in a situation and I can't see my way out, God, I'm going to trust you. I hope that we'll do that. You know, as you study this story, you'll find out that many times it says that the nation of Israel got discouraged. Last Sunday night, we talked, we kind of had a family meeting, didn't we? Shared a lot of testimonies about how a lot of folks had shared that they had been discouraged over the last several weeks and months. And one of the dangers when we're discouraged is we lash out in a complaining heart. I found myself doing that this week, assuming the worst. Assuming the worst, because let's face it, we face some difficult days and I was assuming the worst about a situation, and because of that, I had a complaining spirit. And I just realized, God, why should I assume the worst when look at all that you've done? Look at how good you've been to us. Lord, I'm going to trust you, even in the things that I can't fully understand right now. I'm going to trust you. Father, help me to just be right there following you. Because I know that you have me on this journey, and I know that when we get to the end, it's going to be worth it. I'm going to be so glad that I trust you in those difficult turns and those difficult parts of the journey. Let's pray.